Audi. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Big Travel Podcast, exploring life stories through travel. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Our guest today has been described as one of the best DJs in the world. He's been at the forefront of dance, rave and jungle for over two decades, from pirate radio in Brixton to the dizzy heights of his own show on Radio 1. He's travelled all over the world, playing at raves in airports, culture shock gigs where no one danced in Japan, and once got caught in the middle of a Nazi riot in Germany. Often together with his longtime DJing partner, Groove Rider, he is, of course, Fabio. It's amazing to meet you after 10 years of chatting. I remember yeah. the, the first time um, I encountered you, you sent me a message when I was on Talk Sport. And uh, we were chatting, because I replied to everyone who, were, mm. who messages me. Yeah. And, um, and you said, oh, I'm, I'm on the radio as well. And I was like, oh, that's nice. What are you on? And you said, Radio 1. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much for coming here. All the way from Brixton, are you still Oh, in no, Brixton? I'm in the south, Stratton. You've gone up in the world, have yeah, you? Yeah, well, I don't know if that's gone up. I mean, Brixton is, is, is like Mayfair now, so Stratton is, is, is kind of like a downgrade for me, really. But yeah, Brixton's really changed. Really, really changed. It's where you grew up. So yeah, I, like? I, I, I was born in Brixton, and um, Brixton was a different place. I mean, now I don't even recognise Brixton in, in a good way. So I grew up in a working class family. I mean, we were never like really poor or anything like that. But you know, my my mum had two jobs, my dad did two jobs, and and we we got by. I never really wanted for anything really growing up. But we didn't do travelling. My dad didn't drive which is strange, even then. And my mother didn't drive, and I didn't have any brothers that drove. So travelling wasn't really a thing. I remember my first memories of going away was to Little Hampton with school. And um, we went away to the beach, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, I didn't know there was places like this in England. You know what I mean? We literally never went out of Brixton, ever. And we had an uncle that had a Ford Capri, so he, he was my favourite uncle. And every now and again, we used to drive down. To, he lived in Gravesend and we drove down to Gravesend. So even amongst the kind of uh, the white kids, travelling weren't, travelling was a lot more expensive. You know, it was really expensive. I, I remember I went to Jamaica when I was six and my parents saved up the whole year to take me, my sister, my mum and dad. And they really literally saved up every penny to travel. So... Yeah, it was a different thing then. So travelling, I never ever thought I would travel. But travelling is, is one of my favourite things. 
And you've just come back. I mean, you are literally all over the place. You've just come back from Holland last night, was it? Yeah, well, I, was, in I was in Den Haag um, in, in Holland, uh, which is about an hour away from Amsterdam. I was there last weekend. The weekend before, I was in Berlin. The weekend before that, I was in Frankfurt. And the week before that, we'd done a three-week tour of Australia, where we went to Melbourne, Sydney, and then we went to New Zealand, Queenstown, Auckland, uh, Christchurch. We were there for three weeks touring. We'd done nine dates, literally flying every day. And um, it's wonderful. It's second nature to me, travelling. Checking in and stuff does become really tiresome, especially when you've got to remember when I travel, I work. So I literally go to a place, I go to the hotel, I get unpacked, have two hours rest and, and, and then we go to the gig and the next morning you go back to the hotel, you wake up, crack of dawn and you're on the next flight. So as much as it sounds glamorous, there is a part of it that's not that glamorous. I'd love to chill out a lot more in, in, in certain places. I mean, I've been to New York about 14 times and I've never really had time to, to check the place out. Everyone goes, oh, it's so amazing. And I'm like, yeah, and I've been to certain places, but I don't know, I've never really caught the vibe there. LA is a place that I go to and I I make sure I chill out because LA is a, is a wonderful place. I'm really glad you said that. I mean, I love it, but I know lots of people who really don't like it at all. I get it. I get why people don't like it. Um, I find, you know, I went to LA twice last year and stayed about five, six days. And after about six days, it, it becomes a little bit tiresome because our American cousins are very different from us. And their lack of understanding, sarcasm and stuff like that. You know, you say things to them sometimes, you start laughing, they look at you like, what are you laughing at? Like, what's so funny? I find now it's really strange, even in, in, in post-Trump America, I think that gap has widened. But I do love the expanse of America. I mean, it's so many different states and they're so different from one another. And I've been to at least 30 states in America. I've been to more states than most Americans traveling, touring and... Um, it's a great place to go to, though. It's, it's, I do like the diversity. And, and growing up, um, being a fanboy of America, watching the Westerns, John Wayne and people like that. Uh, so I had this romantic notion of America. And when you go there, what surprised me more than anything else is how different LA is from Denver and how different Denver is from Dallas and the South is from the North and the West. But it's amazing. It's an amazing place. So how did you, going back to your, your Brixton days, and mm. you started to, uh, to DJ, you were playing in uh, illegal raves and everything? Yeah, yeah. I was doing the whole illegal rave thing in 1988, Acid House. And um, it's amazing to think now house is, is one of the biggest genres in the world. And it's, DJs get paid £500,000 for a set. Is that what you get? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would have flown in on a, on a, in a private jet if I, if I got that kind of money. No, but when we started, it literally was a hobby. Um, it wasn't nothing to aspire to. You know, my parents were really kind of like, you know, what you're doing, you're an intelligent guy, you flopped at college. I was a bit of a dropout. I went to college and um, when I found out you didn't really have to go to lessons, I didn't. <laughs> so I kind of messed up at, at college. And um, and then I was I was I was stuck in between a rock and a hard place. I was thinking, well, what what am I going to do? And then love of music. I wanted to be a singer at first. I auditioned for a few bands. It just didn't work out. And then, um, as in a lot of things in my life, a, a bit of luck came into play. I, I started off at Pirate Station. 
which was a local pirate station, which uh, was called Phase One. And um, it, it ended up being a huge station, a huge pirate station, had massive underground reach. And then, um, cut a long story short, one day, the guy that was running the club, he had a little club downstairs attached to the pirate station. And he was like, look, we're going to have an after-hours acid house party on a Wednesday night. And he had this place, Lakshabin, which is like a blues, reggae, after-hours drinking club. Illeg- totally illegal. And no one ever used to go in there because Brixton was just so dodgy back in the day. So he was like, on a Wednesday night, he was like, look, you know, my brother knows a lot of these acid house guys and, and they're all going to come down to the after party. And, um, and we were like, no one comes here on a Saturday. Like, he was like, yeah, get down here for about three o'clock. We was like, this guy's crazy. Anyway, me and Groove Rider ended up going down there. First time we'd met properly. And um, he was like, look, I've got to go work at five. If there's no one here, I've just got, you know, I've got my, my suit in the back of my car. Five in the morning. Yeah, five in the morning. He was a computer engineer, so he understood code. He worked at St. George's Hospital doing their computers, which was amazing. I mean, 88, we're talking about. He was on a different level. He was like, I've got to go work. So anyway, we got, it got to half four. There was no one in the club. And he was like, look, I've got to go. And he said to the owner, he was like, look, no one's coming here. It's half four in the morning. It's Wednesday night. He said, I'm packing up. He's like, no, please, my brother just messaged me. He said, yeah, everyone's coming down. Anyway, Groove was like, no. Anyway, it was just about to load the tracks in the car. And we just saw two ravers, always remember, one had Union Jack shorts on. And he was going, oh, come on, let's have it. It was like, what's, what's going on with him? And the uh, proprietor of the of the place, he's so he was like, look, he's going to buy drinks. Please come down and play a few tunes. It was like, look, it's one guy. So Groove was like, oh, look, we'll, we'll go down there for 20 minutes. And then two hours later, the place was absolutely packed. We turned that into the biggest after-hours party in London at the time. And the rest is history. That's how we really started. Then we started to get booked for big raves and... And, you know, we've been doing it non-stop for 30 years and it's we're still here. It's just amazing. I so the first time you went abroad, I mean, do you remember the first time well, you yeah. invited somewhere fabulous? Well, in about 94, we started going outside London to Birmingham. There was a scene in Birmingham. So we started to go to Birmingham and then the North, Stoke, places like that. And then going abroad wasn't a thing at all. And then one day I met some guys from this outfit called Mutoid Wastes who were a bunch of squatters, who'd done these amazing parties, though. And they had a hookup in Paris. And it's a guy I knew, he lived locally. He was like, look, do you fancy coming to Paris? I play at a place called the Roxy. And I was like, wow, really? I said, how does this work? He said, look, they're going to buy your tickets. They're going to put you in a hotel. You stay for a night. And I was really anxious about it. I was really, and I agreed to it. And then I thought, you know, I was counting the days. I was like, oh, my God. What were you anxious about? Just travelling. I was anxious about travelling, playing my music abroad, didn't think it would translate, didn't think they'd really understand, you know. You've got to remember Acid House was born in England and it was an English-based thing for a little while. And so outside of England, I was like, oh, how's this going to work, man? So anyway, I, I ended up doing the gig and it was it was a great gig. Ended up hanging out with all these squatters and stuff, <laughs> having a great time hanging out with them. And then... It, it started to happen. I mean, it started to... Acid House really started to take off in Europe. And uh, we started to go to places like Germany. We used to play in the airport, in Frankfurt Airport, a place called Dorian Gray, which was crazy. We'd literally come out of Arrivals and there was a club in the airport. In the airport? In the airport. Used to be about a 1,000 people in there. 
And it used to be crazy, a techno night. And um, I'm sorry, I'm just imagining a thousand people listening to techno. No, in, 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 yeah, yeah, in Frankfurt. We don't want those people on the fly. No, no, you don't want those people on the fly. And um, but it was it was it was insane. And the first time we went there, they said, oh, "You don't have to go anywhere. The, 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 the club's here." We was like, "What?" And we literally walked through some gates and stuff like that. And there was just a store, and, and I was like, "There's a nightclub in there." And we walked in, and he was like. Trust me, tonight it's going to be packed. We walked in the club about 12 o'clock. It was heaving in there. And so, yeah, we started to go to... Because we played techno as well as drum, uh, early jungle. So we, we went to Belgium and Germany. And then towards the late 90s, festivals started to come about. And that's really caused a real travelling explosion. The superstar DJ was born. And then I remember Groove, Groove Rider in, in 1999, got an offer to go to Australia. That blew my mind. I was just like, my God, you're going to Australia? He was like, yeah. And he, and he went there and he, he was like, wow. He was getting 2,000 people. Because it was the infancy of dance music. It was just blown up like it blew up in 88. After the millennium, we were travelling seriously sometimes four times a week. We were literally getting off a plane, going to Ibiza, then getting a connecting flight to a Lollipop Festival in Sweden. We were going to like Belgium. We was flying all over Europe. Places that I never thought I'd go to. And then America started happening. And, and, and then it just... Now it's, it's so widespread. Going to Brazil, um, which is amazing. Japan as well. Um, and how did people receive you there? The first gig we did in, in Japan was, I think, 98... We met some guy and he was like, look, come out to Japan. We're going to do the first ever raves. And it was called Rave East in Tokyo. And uh, culturally, it was so different. And I remember my friend that went before, he, 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 was, he used to say things like, look, when they talk, you know, you know say thank you and yes, sir. And, and when, when, when the promoter walks, you know, you walk behind him. It was like, really? <laughs> and it wasn't like that at all. I don't really know what he was thinking about. But... It blew my mind. It was like Blade Runner. It was like the set of Blade Runner. It was all these neon lights at night time. And, and culturally, it was so different. And um, we had an amazing time. So the first gig we ever did, he said, look, it's going to be a lot of kind of like office people. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's going to be different from England, but it's going to be very interesting. And, and, and when we played, they didn't know what was going on. They took it like it was a concert. So they didn't react at all they were just standing there <laughs> looking at us and it was like like it was a show yeah and, and 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 i remember looking at groove and i was like what is going on here like he was going look i'm just tight clock watching because i don't know this is not my kind of thing but no one went no one danced they just stood and stared all in their kind of office outfits and stuff and then when we finished they all started clapping and like really going mad and going one more one more and they just did not understand the concept of rave. They really took it like this was a live show and you don't interact at all until they're finished. So that was odd. And um, for the f first couple of years, they just didn't get it. And then they did. We went um, in about 2000 and, and it completely changed and clubbing had taken off and all the young kids really got into stuff. And, um, and that was it. You must have had some pretty wild nights out. Um, oh yeah I've had some mad times but then on top of that you know another thing about doing so well was going to nice places on holiday I used to go to the Seychelles 
every single year. Um, a friend of mine who, when I was on Radio 1, uh, he sent me a letter. Remember, it was no emails back in the day. That's mad, isn't it? People used to send letters. I used to just get letters that my producer used to come and bring me letters and and he used to read them. And he used to, I used to have a pile of letters like this. And he used to say, yeah, read out the letters. And I was like, really? Oh, that wow. sounds so much nicer. I'd love to get some letters. I know. It was so mad that we used to... And we used to record our shows on, on D90 cassettes. So anyway, we uh, a guy from Pralin in, 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 in Seychelles wrote me a letter and said, listen, I'm a big fan. I'm down in the Seychelles. And um, I just want to say, you know, there's no drum and bass here. But, you know, I just found the show by accident. And he said, anytime you guys want to swing by... We were like, look, you know, let's look into it. It's very expensive. But he, his father owns a hotel, so he said, look, just pay for your flights, come out here. It's the most amazing place, Seychelles. Um, and then we ended up going every year for about seven, eight years. We went to uh, a place called Ladigue, which was an amazing place, um, and a little island and Grand Sur. And, um, so Seychelles, beautiful island. And so we could afford lovely holidays, um, we, I went to the Maldives. Um, we used to go holidaying in LA. It sounds all kind of like, you know, we was earning a bit more money there. <laughs> so we were just travelling all the time. American tours three times a year. Um, going to places like Brazil, Israel and places like that. Yeah, amazing stuff. I know you go regularly to Ibiza. Do people, you know, do you end up sort of being invited onto people's yachts and having these amazing nights out or do you literally just go there and work and come home? It's a bit of both. I mean, we used to play at a place called Pikes and stay at this hotel, which was really famous, like Tom Jones stays these Grace Jones. Um, there's pictures on the wall of... The, the owner with George Michael and Elton John and that place is pretty plush is you know you get like million billionaires there do you know what most of the time when I go to my for it's for work I've been to the old town a few times but it's it's normally in and out and I've been there so many times now that you know I've, I've kind of I've seen it and done IB for now it's a little for me it's a little bit played out the first time you go which was the first time we went was 1999 was just amazing we'd be out in the uh outdoor bit where Carl Cox used to play and at six o'clock the first planes used to go over and they used to you list, used to look, look up and you used to hear the sonic boom because the planes were literally nearly landing on top of the club and that was amazing I think the early days were amazing maybe I'm a bit jaded now there's still a magic there though I think if you love house music there is something magical about the there's island there's still a major appetite for house music it hasn't oh, gone away not it's house music's huge I mean, I play drum and bass now, but we play old school house. And for me, I still get such an amazing vibe from it. It's a nostalgic thing for us. And um, being young as well in DJing and stuff like that. So, yeah, Ibiza's always going to have the magic. I just feel like I've seen and done it now. Do you remember a time, the first time you ever went somewhere out of your, really out of your comfort zone? The first time I ever went somewhere out of my comfort zone was Japan. It was so different. Then I've been to places like China as well, um, which is, again, culturally different from uh, from Japan. China's a little bit more old school, where Japan embraces, it's a very futuristic looking city. China's still quite old school. Beijing, Shanghai, you know, it still looks like what you think China would look like. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, saying that Japan, I've, I've been to Osaka as well, and Kyoto, a uh, fascinating place. I absolutely love Japan.
Have there been any negative experiences? Anything scary when you've been travelling? I tell you, I tell you the scariest thing, and we, me, Jack Frost, and Brian G talk about it all the time. The first time we went to Germany, which was nineteen ninety eight. We were oohing and ahhing about going to Germany. The booking came in and we was like, oh, we're not sure, Germany. Uh, you know, it had, it was very right wing. The wall had just come down and we were, we were a bit sceptical about going there. We ended up sitting down and saying, look, if there's going to be three of us, it's going to be fine. So we ended up going to, I always remember it was Frankfurt. And so we got to the hotel and we were like, look, guys, you know, let's go and eat some food. Let's go and walk around. I remember there was no room service. So it was like, that's a bummer. So we went to walk around and literally, as soon as we came at the hotel and took a ride, I remember it like it was yesterday. Jack Frost said to me, can you hear, can you hear some something? And, and in the background, you could kind of hear like there was something going on, like there was a ruckus going on somewhere. And little by little, the sound came, it, it, the sound was coming closer and closer to us. It was like, oh my God, what's going on? And then we saw people running. And then we saw like hundreds of people running past us. It was like, oh my God. And we stopped a guy and was like what's going on he was going the nazis are marching <laughs> in the center of town and then we was like what so we looked one way and and, and we, we saw the nazis and then we looked behind us and there was anti-nazi rally and a nazi rally and they decided to kick off and we were right in the middle. We <laughs> just really like, don't want to be. We, we were like, oh my God, I just can't believe this has happened. So all I remember us running back to the hotel, running upstairs, and there it, it was a proper riot. I mean, we looked on the news and it was all kicking off. And yeah, that was a really scary experience. You go to some places that I find a little bit more hostile than others. Find Moscow a little bit odd. Find it an odd place. The fact that it's really cold. And there, there are some lovely people there, but you do get funny looks, which is you don't normally get that when you travel, and especially in Europe. But Moscow, as soon as you get out of the airport, you get funny looks from people. You mean because you're a black man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being black, you know just the look. You just know from growing up, you know what that look is. You know, there, there is a, sometimes, you know, if you go to China, there is a look that they haven't seen a lot of black people. Um, but... Moscow have got no excuses, do you know what I'm saying? I find the people slightly hostile. But apart from that, I've, everywhere I've been, it's, 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 things have been cool. I've never had any problems racially, especially nowadays. People are really friendly and really open. Marvellous. I think you've got DJ and musician written all over you there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, that might. Or they, I, 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 I get that or I get um, people after talking to me for 10 minutes going, are you American? It's like, do I sound American? And so they think you're an American basket, or they think I'm a footballer or something like that, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So is there anywhere you haven't been um, that you'd like to go, any experience? Or I've never been to Africa. Uh, Groove Rider's been to South Africa, and he had an amazing time. I've, I've never been to Africa. I'd love to go to South Africa. And I'd love to go to... I've never been to India. There's a couple of times I've meant to go to Mumbai, and it's it's not quite come off. I'd love to go to Mumbai and go It's a crazy place, I've been there. It's yeah. really crazy. You kind of want to come home after a few days, but it is, it's so different and so interesting. Well, my girlfriend who DJs, she's, she's going to India on New Year's Eve, and she goes all the time. I've never really wanted to go. Now I want to go. It, it does seem very colourful, and, and my girlfriend's really sold me on the idea of going to India. So I'd like to go to India. Dubai, we go to Dubai every now and again, and... Um, Talking of Groove Rider and mm. travel, mm. Uh, God, yeah. what, what happened? I mean, what happened there and how did it affect you and your... Well, he, it was just, um, 
was a mad experience. Um, I remember speaking to him at, when he was at the airport and he said there'd been an altercation and, um, and then before we knew it, he was, he was, he was in prison. Uh, they find a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of weed in his, in his, in, in his pocket. Um, and then they told him he could go. They're going to send him back to England. And he was just about to get on the flight and two men in kind of like, looked like from men in black, he said, wearing dark glasses and stuff, came up to him and went, you're coming with us. And, and they didn't say anything to him, got him in a car halfway to where he was going. He, he asked him like, where am I going? And so he's going to prison. They incarcerated him for nearly a year um, without trial. Uh, it was horrendous. It was, it, was, it was a real, you know, we, our shows were hitting peak form on Radio 1. And um, it was just strange because he'd been my... He's, he's, he's like my partner. You know, we've done everything together, come through everything together. And not to have him there was, was, was really strange. Not only strange, it was a worrying experience because we we had no idea when he was going to come back. The British Embassy got involved and, and the powers that be at Radio 1, did re they really helped as well. They got involved and, and they were instrumental in getting him out. I went to Dubai uh, just before he did, and um, he said to me, how is Dubai? I said, everything's cool. I, I went, and there was never, just not a problem at all. I remember, I went out the night before to an after-hours party, and I remember hanging at the airport, and um, I had no idea it was like that. And then after what happened to Groove, I, had, I was really sceptical about going, especially what happened to Groove, and I had a, a really good offer to go last year, and I said to Groove, you don't mind me going? And he was like, Oh, don't just be careful that's all and I was really worried about going there you know but I went there and it was fine you know, and I know after what happened with Groove and because they were really worried about tourism they were saying you know it cleaned up its act and it, it, but it's not I still read I read a story last week about a guy that um stuck his two fingers up at someone and got, got in prison for two years and I think people take Dubai lightly. They don't realise, because people go there like they're going to the Mediterranean. No, they absolutely. They don't realise that there's other customs and culture. And if, if tiny little things go wrong that would be completely forgiven mm. in this country, you know, they're very serious. That's what I mean, there. the cultural differences. It's been sold a lot of the time as this kind of like hedonistic holiday island in, 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 in the Middle East. And, and it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And I think now people have got knowledge, you know, be careful out there. You know, it's uh, things you can do in the Western society you can't get away with doing there at all. So what are you working on now? What's next for you? Well, you know, um, hopefully more travelling uh, next year. This year has been an amazing year. Uh, to be honest with you, we, we've had to rebrand because it's a different thing now. Um, you know, before you could just DJ. Now you have to be on social media. You've got to have a social media presence now. You have to be retweeting stuff constantly you just got to be on the ball so much and you have to be down with the kids the biggest thing now is staying relevant i'll tell you a story quickly we was uh i was at a gig and uh it's huge it was called uh, Westfest, which was in shepton mallet and i was just about to come on nicky black market was playing he was doing his thing and the two mcs i could see him looking at each other like right who's that guy and i saw them i was just thinking oh god and so I saw, they were kind of whispering to each other. He was going, oh, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've got it. So and I thought, right, the pennies dropped, got on the decks, and the MC's gone, right, 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 big up to Nicky Black Market, 
He said, coming up on the ones and twos now, man like Kenny Kane. <laughs> and I didn't tell him. The whole set, he called me Kenny Kane. I thought, you know what, mate? If you can't bother to do your research properly, I'm not even going to tell you that I'm not Kenny Kane. So the whole set, and even my last tune, he was going, last tune from man like Kenny Kane, big up. And everyone in the crowd was like, that's not Kenny Kane. I know. No, it is. Ten years ago, everyone knew who I was. But now... It's a generational thing. I don't expect people to know who I am now. It's not the same. And um, afterwards, someone came up to him. I think Mickey Finn gave them a right rollick and went, oh, do you know who that is? That's Fabio. That's a disgrace. You didn't know that was him. And they came up to him and was like, oh my God, I'm really, really sorry. We're really, really sorry. You know, like, you know, we're just two upcoming MCs. We're not out that much. And I was like, look, guys, cool. And But it just shows you, you've got to be... You've got to keep your finger on the pulse. But you're still doing well. You're in demand. You're doing huge gigs. Oh, my all God. The it's, you know, this year we've done Glastonbury, which was amazing. We played to 30,000 people on the main stage. Oh, no, on the Arcadia stage, which was just incredible. We've done things like Boomtown. We've done the Australian tour. We've travelled all over Europe. We've been to Brazil. Next year, next year it's America. So it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful thing because it's, it's, it's one of those things, as we were saying before, I grew up, travelling was never in, in in anything I did. Historically, growing up, it wasn't, I never travelled at all. I went to Jamaica once, hated it. Um, hated Jamaica. Got there and I was just like, oh my God, what is this? There's outside toilets and stuff. Nah, man, this is, I hated it. But was that when you were young? Yeah, when I was six. And you haven't been back? No. You've got to trace your family. I know, don't, it's terrible. <gasps> That's terrible. All my family is just like, I can't believe you haven't come out here and visited us. So you got people there still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got aunts and cousins. I've got about 80 cousins. Everyone in Jamaica's kind of related anyway. So I've just got thousands. I need to get out there. You it's do. terrible. I know, I know, I know, I know. I need to get out do there. Do you know anything about your history over there and how? Well, I, well my uncle um, was... Uh, he, he's an amazing guy. He got a grant in the 60s um, to do travel, to get buses from the, from, from the, from the local councils and, and they backed him and he ended up being a multi-millionaire and, and having this, this, this owning about 30 buses. So the, all the transport in, in Jamaica, it was literally down to him. You know, he ended up getting the roads done and, and, and making Jamaica... I remember going to Jamaica, the roads were so bad, awful. I mean, you know, people would die on a regular basis driving down mountains that didn't have proper roadways and stuff. And now I've heard, <laughs> I don't know firsthand, that it's just amazing now. And a lot of that is down to my uncle. So my uncle, he, he passed away, sadly, but his, his kids are still keeping up the business and, and you know he's a, he's, he's a big man in Jamaica he's, he's a big deal in Jamaica so I've was got it all... your parents who came here or your grandparents no it's my parents my mum my and dad both came here after the war under the premise that streets were lined with, with silver and gold and they really did think that you know they're guys coming round locally going you know you're part of the Commonwealth we really need your help, you know, come over for a couple of years, we'll look after you, and that didn't happen at all. They came over and had to fend for themselves. They weren't wanted as well. And, you know, m my mum said the second day she came, it was snowing, which she'd never saw, and she hated it, absolutely hated it, and couldn't believe how cold England was. She just could not believe it. So they came over, and 
oh, they can tell you some stories, some amazing stories. I think that was the first generation, the Windrush generation, you know what I'm saying? And um, they made it easy for us. They really did. They really made it easy for us and, and, and paved the way. So now you go around the world, I think in England's one of the most tolerant sites out there. You know, for all its problems with racism, I think we've, we address it over here. Um, you know, even you go to football now, uh, you know, I, I, you go to football stadiums and it's so multicultural. You know, you get Asians, you get everyone mixing and there's no racist chanting. You know, the stewards are really, really strict about that. And it's wonderful to see that because everywhere you go in Europe, even sometimes I'm watching football, I can hear the monkey chanting and it's so sad. And so I think England's way ahead of a lot of places. It's not by any stretch of the imagination perfect, but it's even more so than America. My brother, who lives in New York, he came over and he was like, uh, yeah, so you, you guys mix? And I was like, yeah, man. I said, you know, we all hang out together because I took him to a bar. And he said, yeah, he said, there's black and white people in here just hanging out. I said, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the way it is. I said, what, don't you guys do that in America? He said, look, we work with Italians and Irish, but as soon as work's done, that's it. You hang out with your people. And, you know, it's still like that in America. Even in New York, my daughter went about five years ago and she was walking through New York and a, and, a, and a young lady came up to her and started touching her and going, your hair feels like cotton. Like, oh really? <laughs> like, are you being Like cotton you've just picked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like cotton that my mum used to pick from the plantation. Oh, it's, my God. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just... And it's, things like that would never happen in England. That's something to commend. I think, yeah, I, I really want you to promise me that in the next year, maybe, you're going to think about going to Jamaica. You really have to go. I oh, went to meet you where my dad's from. Yeah. And, like, met all his relatives and everything. And it's just incredible. It's where are your people from? Um, my dad's an Indian Fijian, so 100% Indian blood, but got, uh, got brought up in Fiji. But you need to go. To yeah, Jamaica. no, I do. I do need to go. And it, I do before, well... My, my, my cousins and stuff are getting on now and they've got grandkids and stuff like that so I do need to go I think I'm going to make that my mission next year you need to keep messaging me on Facebook every now and again have you booked that flight to Jamaica yet? My last question is if you could choose one song or track to remind, that reminds you of some fabulous experience of travel or the whole experience of travelling what would it be? I think... Wow, that is difficult. Because I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why that's difficult. Because when I go abroad, especially when I go to beautiful places, I listen to music. That's the first thing I do. I find the beach, put my, my headphones in and I just... I'll tell you what, once I was in, I was in Seychelles and I remember we was at this, this heavenly place called Ladigue. I'll tell you, this is the most beautiful place, hands down, that I've ever been to. It's just absolutely amazing. And I, I remember sitting on a rock and having a Walkman a Sony Walkman, and they actually had, I don't know how it got in there, but there was the Verve CD in there, and which is not normally my kind of thing. And um, Symphony, is it Street Corner? It's a sweet symphony. Bit, that came on, and this, all, all, I, all I remember was sitting on this rock, looking out at the sea, seeing the sun in the sky, and I remember laying back on this rock, and that tune just just took me away. And I'd never listened to it properly, and that's the wonder of, 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 that's what I love about music. You, you can get surprised by music. And that track just caught me. I was just in the right place at the right time to hear that track and really feel it. And it just blew me away. And I just remember just 
having it on repeat for about an hour and laying down on this rock and it was just like uh, I could have stayed there forever listening to that one tune on, on repeat that was a big moment I love that music has the power to do that music and travel are my two favourite things yeah I, I, you know what I, the last thing I can say is, is, is you know I, I've been blessed because I come back sometimes and I see friends of mine that you know go on holiday once if can afford to go once every three years and and they always look at me in all these places that I go to and they just think I've got the most amazing glamorous lifestyle and you know in a way it is and you know no matter how difficult it is you know I get paid to do what I do I get paid to stay in hotels beautiful hotels I get paid to fly out there and entertain and it's the best job I can't think of anything more that I especially now with the travelling than I'd rather do. All I, all I need to go do is go to South Africa. And, and one place I've got to give it a real big up to, a real a place that is, is my favourite place in Europe, Dublin. I love Dublin. I've lots of friends out there. I've got, I go out there two, three times a year, always got a nice little following out there that's kept with me over the years. And I just love the city. I love the people. I don't know, there's just a vibe in Dublin. And Cork as well. I love Ireland. Um, Cork is absolutely beautiful. So, um, yeah. Um, in Dublin, the party just never stops. I oh, it never stops. I always need a break to, when I come back from Dublin. It never stops. And then they're, they're into this Guinness thing as well. You've got to drink their Guinness, which is completely different from the Guinness here. And it just, just knocks you out, man. It's proper, that's proper like devil juice. Um, but Dublin, yeah, it's an amazing city. Love the place. I feel that you're um, surrounded by a lot of musical history as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always feel welcomed in Dublin. Because they love music, they really do. Especially black music, they've got the commandments. Was it the com- commitments? Commitments. Oh, I love the, that film. Back in the day, showed their love of black music. That's what that film was about, and and you really do feel that when you go there. And um, yeah, so special honorary mention to Dublin. Thank you so much, Fabio, for that real slice of British popular culture there. Thanks too to Azimuth Post Production in Soho for the use of the studio. And thank you for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.